0: here in first samuel chapter 14 we see somebody who is a man after god's own heart who will work with god and it's important because samuel the prophet talked to saul the brand new king of israel and he told him in chapter 13, verse 14, your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commanded, commander over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now when a man is not a man after God's own heart, It just doesn't work. And we're going to see this next week. What a mess it makes of everything. But this week, we get to see what happens when a man who is a man after God's own heart works with God. He's like-minded with God. He thinks the way God thinks. He feels the way God feels, and he chooses what God chooses. And he's also like-minded with those who have the same mindset. There's purpose and unity. And God can do anything with people who are like-minded with him. That's what this part of chapter 14 is about. So I'm reading here at the beginning. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that's on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in migrant. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of one was Bodesetz, and the name of the other was Sena. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then, here I am with you, according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So, Jonathan has this idea. Let's go over to the garrison of the Philistines, and let's see if God's going to do something there for us. Just you and me, two guys. What do you think? Now, his reason for doing this is in verse 6. Nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. That is, God doesn't need any particular number at all to do anything. But he could use one guy. You could use two guys. Now, When you look at it from a strictly human standpoint, this is sort of like Mission Impossible without Tom Cruise. Because if Tom Cruise were there, you'd think, well, he is Tom Cruise after all. But if it's just you and me, we would say, no, this is not going to work. Because we're just two guys. And those swords are heavy. And we're going to get killed. But with these two guys, it's not crazy. It is reasonable. It's reasonable if you know the word of God, and if you know that Israel has a covenant with God. Now, the direct statement about this is in Leviticus 26. And it says there, this is part of the covenant. God says, you will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. Now this is an agreement that God has made with Israel. And he's saying there that numbers don't mean a thing. Five of you will chase a hundred. Naturally, that never flies. A hundred, look at five and say, let's see, I don't know the math, but let's kill them. But when God is for you, then it doesn't matter how many people you have. And then this is proven over and over and over again in the word of God in the history. For example, in Genesis 14, Abraham has a covenant with God. And Abraham and 316 servants in his house attack four kings who have just beaten five kings and stolen everything and kidnapped people. Well, Abraham and 316 servants attack four kings and wipe them out and bring everything back. That's pretty good. Or two guys... Moses and Aaron, they go up to Pharaoh, king of the strongest nation on the earth, and they say, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, ha, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And then Moses and Aaron talk to God, and God pounds Egypt flat. Two guys. Or Joshua. Joshua leads Israel into the land that God promised to them. And he is victorious against 31 kings. Always against a greater force. The king starts saying, hey, these guys are tough. Join with me. They got all these kings together. It doesn't matter how many. Joshua wipes them out. 31 kings. And, you know, Gideon... And 300 men attack Midian who has men like sand on the seashore. They didn't even count them. He's only got 300 guys. God defeats him. How about Samson all by himself against the Philistines? You say, well, that's not fair. He looked like the Hulk. But actually he didn't. You know why? Because the lords of the Philistines say to Delilah, find out his secret. Now, if he looked like the Hulk, there wouldn't be a secret. Have you seen the muscles on that guy? So he wasn't, you know, large and six feet wide and ripped. He's this little scrawny guy. And they're going, how does he do this? So see, all these things going on, we have the promise of God there, right there in Leviticus, and then we have the proof of it in history. So it's reasonable that God could take two guys and do anything he wants to do with them. Because God made a covenant with Israel, and he is faithful to his promise. So it is only reasonable to think, God could do something, couldn't he? I want you to notice here, at the end of verse 1, it says, he did not tell his father. Now, you know, he's old enough. He doesn't have to get permission. But there's a reason why he doesn't tell his father. It's because his father is absolutely staying put. He's got a defensible position there in verse 4. He's got uh, a pass between him and the Philistines, and there are these sharp rocks. And the way it works out is, with 600 guys, he could defend any advance of the Philistines. They'd have to pass through this you know, narrow passage between these sharp rocks that numbers wouldn't make a difference. And they know this. So they're staying on one side, and Solomon is 600 on the other side. And it's a stalemate. Now, you notice in verse three, along with 600 guys, he's also got Ahijah. And he's the high priest right now. And if you follow it back, his great grandfather is Eli. The priest of the Lord. And we've already seen in 1 Samuel how God said to Eli, You know what? There is not going to be one guy in your family ever that's going to live out their whole lives. So, kind of under a curse here, and that's the high priest. He's wearing an ephod. That's a way for God's people to get guidance. It has the Urim and the Thummim in it, which is a way of inquiring of God and getting answers. You know what? Saul is not asking God, what should I do? He's staying put. So he's, he's staying safe, but safe is not productive here. Nothing is getting done So what if Jonathan comes up and says, Hey, Dad, me and my armor-bearer, we want to go see if we can cause some trouble for the Philistines. What do you think Saul would say? No, I absolutely forbid it. You're my son. There's only two of you? That's crazy. You're more valuable to me than that. Don't throw your life away. I want you to stay right here, where I can keep my eye on you. So he says, you know, uh... Where there is no law, there is also no disobedience, so we're not going to tell Dad about this one. We're just going to take off like this. But he does tell his armor-bearer. Now, an armor-bearer is kind of like a chief of staff, is more than the guy that just carries your armor. Typically, if you're a, an important guy, a commander, a king, Somebody high up, you always got an armor bearer who carries your shield for you, maybe some other weapons, but he also acts as your kind of chief of staff. Now, we don't even know this guy's name. But he's a great guy because he's like-minded. He's right there with Jonathan. Jonathan. He doesn't say, what, are you trying to get me killed? He goes, yeah. So he says, God can do this. Now, you know, they're different. Jonathan, the one, he's the one that got the plan, you know. So the armor bearer doesn't come up and say, hey, boss, I think we ought to do this. What do you think? But he's right there when Jonathan says, hey, I'm kind of thinking we can make some trouble. Are you up for that? And the armor bearer goes, yeah, totally, man. I am totally into this. So you don't need a lot of people. All you need are people who think alike, like God, and they think together like that. You need men who are men after God's own heart. Who know what God has promised and what God can do. Now, Jonathan knows that God can do something, but he's not sure what. He just says, you know what? Nothing stops God. And he can use the both of us. I'm not sure how let's check this out. Let's make sure this wasn't some absurd pizza dream. I had the wrong food and, you know, I just got delusions of grandeur and I think, I'm going to throw myself against the Philistines. Let's make sure God's in this. Shall we do that? So, we got to find a way to see that. And here's my plan. Let's show ourselves to the Philistines, and there's only two ways to respond. The first is the right response. You stay there, and we're going to come to you. That's the expected response. That's the normal, natural. That would happen a 100 times out of a 100. Because... You don't break security and invite people into your camp. That is a no no. The rule is keep hostile combatants out of your camp. Everybody there? So he says if they say, hey, come on up, then we're going to go for it because that means the Lord has given them into our hand. That would never happen because it's stupid. Does everybody get that? It is stupid beyond belief. And so we know that if they say the unexpected, the impossible, we know God's in this. Let's check it out. So, verse 11, look at this. Both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan, his armor-bearer, and said, Come up to us, and we'll show you something. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. How do you think these guys feel right now? They go, okay, here goes nothing. Okay, Lord. And they step out, and those Philistines say, hey, look, the bunny rabbits are coming out of their holes. That's a loose translation of Hebrews. Those are the people without prestige and without power. As they go, look, bunny rabbits, they're so cute. Hey, bunny, why don't you come up here? Because they're going to play with them. Now, that is a gross, gross underestimating of who they're talking to. And as far as they can see, it's only two guys. What could go wrong? That's what they're thinking. And that is the sign. That is the sign that nobody should ever say or do. That's stupid. And they just said it. So imagine, Jonathan and his armor bearer are climbing up. I mean, they can't even hold their swords. they got to use their hands to climb up. But they're going, did you hear that? These guys are ours. We're going to win because we know God is in this. So they are absolutely up for this. They know in advance. They're going to win. And you know, it's not about themselves. You notice at the very end, there in verse 12, the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. It's not about, wow, our names are going to go down in history. They're thinking about God and his people. You notice back... Oh my gosh, where'd it go? Oh, the end of verse 3. It says the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. That's interesting. Because if they were out for themselves, they would say watch us, guys, we're going to show you how to do things. Farewell. You know, or some dramatic exit. But they don't. They just go. And what they're doing is, this is not about them. They're not doing this for their own personal glory. They're just thinking, hey, God wants to do something. And so they, they're climbing up and they go, God is going to give this people into the hand of Israel. This is God's people and God's victory. So verse 13. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor-bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor-bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, And among all the people, the garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who was gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the Ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with them assembled, and they went to the battle. And indeed, Every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews, who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them into the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to beth Aven. Now what we see here is that this victory goes far beyond two guys. Jonathan and his armor bearer work really good together. Did you know that? That is, the armor bearer is not quite like Jonathan. Evidently, Jonathan is more like Errol Flynn, or you know somebody really good with a sword—whack, whack, 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 whack. whack. Armor Bear is not quite like that. He's not a whack kind of guy. But he can remember—they don't have any swords. Only Saul and Jonathan have swords of all the guys of Israel. So. Jonathan starts it by whacking people, but the armor-bearer can go up to the Philistine and say, well, you're not going to need this anymore, and kills him. Now he's got a sword. And he's not, like I say, the big guy who can wade into a bunch of guys and whack them all, but he can go around and finish them. Because even wounded guys could maybe get up like they do in the movies and everything sliced to bits, but still swing a sword, you know. Well, with the armor bearer there, they're not. Down for the count. 20 guys out. And that's like 15 or 20 meters. So that's pretty good. And then you notice there's a trembling, and it's about fear. This fear that goes through the camp, and it freaks all of them out. It says, in the camp, in the field, the people, the garrison, the raiders, everybody is freaked out, and they don't know why. But God can do stuff like that. He can freak everybody out. And then God throws in an earthquake already freaked out, but now there's no place to stand. What in the world is going on? There is such confusion in the camp right now. Okay? Even Saul gets motivated because they see, okay, there's something going on over there. Now he does dawdle. And he calls a roll call, and it takes some time to call the roll for 600 men, right? So he's not like super motivated to go forward. And then he wants to find out, so it's now he's talking to God. But before he can even, you know, bring the ark and let's talk with God and everything, the chaos is too good. Even Saul can see, we got to get moving, this is, this is amazing. So he says, forget it, guys. Let's roll. Let's get into this thing while they're all freaked out. And then when they get there, they find that the Philistines are so freaked out, they're hacking one another up. They're just, they don't know what they're doing. Just the enemies among us or something's flipped out, but they're hacking each other to bits. So, you know, when you're not freaked out, That's that's a good advantage, isn't it? You can tell who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. And that's very effective when you're facing a superior force. These guys are so disoriented, they're beating each other up. But then you notice that there in verse 21, the Hebrews that were working for the Philistines. They decide, you know what? I want to be on Israel's side now. This doesn't make sense to be with the Philistines. I'm just done with the Philistines. Now Saul has more men. Just like that. And then guys who deserted and hid They see what's going on. They go, wow, I want to be a part of that. Now Saul has many more men. Now, this is a divine victory. On the order of what Samuel did a generation ago, remember they all came together at, it was either Mizpah or Gilgal. Come on. Mizpah. Nobody had any weapons. All they did was repent and worship and pray and say, God, we've sinned. And the Philistines attacked and they prayed to God and God freaked the Philistines out so that Israel could attack them with no weapons. And that particular attack, it so subdued the Philistines that for the rest of Samuel's life, or at least his reign, No problem with the Philistines. This was that kind of a victory. And it could have driven the Philistines out of Israel, except for one thing. Saul got in the way. And that's what we're going to look at next week. But this is an amazing thing, right? How did Jonathan get to the point where he said, you know what, you and me, armor bearer, We're going to change the course of the nation. We are going to cause revival on a national scale. We are going to kick the Philistines out of Israel today. Do you hear my voice? And the answer is, he never thought that. He didn't know what was going to happen. He just had this impression, God wants to do something. And that's all he had. What would happen if God had showed the entire plan to Jonathan? He might have said, "Uh, I don't think I can do that. That's what we would all say. So God doesn't just show the whole thing to him. He just gives him this impression. I can do something. And all... Jonathan and the armor-bearer did was seek the Lord. You know, you don't start thinking huge thoughts about God like that. It's the result of a life spent in seeking God. So you know, what this means is is that Jonathan sought the Lord. And that means he worshipped God. You know when you worship God, you you are acknowledging the things that are true about him. Like how big is God? Well, heaven and earth cannot contain him. How old is he? That's ridiculous. He has always been, he will always be. Because he's eternal. He never gets weak, he never gets tired. In fact, he created everything, and everything depends upon him. So you're thinking about his power, his eternity. What is the nature of God? He's gracious and compassionate. And as you worship God and just acknowledge the truth about God, he fills your viewpoint. And if you try to compare anything or anybody to him, they assume the proper proportion. God is infinite, and anything else is a speck of dust. Hardly a drip in the bucket, dust on the scales. No comparison. You have a real and proper view of God. That's what happens when you worship. And then when you seek the Lord, you give God thanks. You cannot help it because you realize He made me and all that I am. And that's a good thing. I appreciate existing. And so you say, Thank you, God. Thank you. And you can see all of God's goodness around you. And you offer thanks. And that's something you do. Because he's doing good things all the time. We live in God's goodness. Not every once in a while, you know, something comes from Amazon. And we go, oh boy, I got a package from Amazon. This is good. Every day... We're awake, we're thinking, we're breathing, we're seeing. I know a lady right now who doesn't have any short-term memory. And we can talk about the same thing five times in a row. And none of it sticks. So you know, I've come to really appreciate my short-term memory. You ever give thanks to God for your short-term memory? Now you can. How about the ability to walk? Some people can't walk. You, know, you notice stuff if you lose it. And that wakes you up to begin to say, you know, I'm thanking God for everything that still works in my body. And if you think about it, you can find many, many, many things to thank God for. In fact, you can even thank God for the stuff that is going wrong and you don't like it right now. Because according to the covenant, he is working even that together for good. Another thing you do while you're seeking God is you learn history. You learn how God happened in the past. What he did because see we're supposed to love God with all of our soul, heart, mind, mind and our strength. So, we read and we find out God did crazy things. And if he did it then, that means he can do it now. And we learn doesn't take anybody. I don't have to look around me and say, well, who else is going to do this with me? Because it doesn't depend on numbers. I don't have to wait until somebody steps up. I can say, well, here I am. And then you learn about this covenant. Our covenant is amazing that we have. It's a new covenant. And it's way better than the old covenant. Because the New Covenant gives complete righteousness of God like that. And the New Covenant gives a new heart and a new mind that agrees with God. We are like-minded right from the get-go. We receive the Holy Spirit to dwell in us forever, who teaches and leads and guides. And another thing you do when you're seeking God is you pray. You you actually spend time in the presence of God and you talk with him. And see, Jonathan had to have done that. That kind of thought, like, you know, God can use us does not come any other way. So there he is praying and seeking the Lord, and at that time when he's talking to God, his heart is open toward him, and God says, I can do something. And Jonathan goes, yeah, that is completely reasonable. Now when you seek God, you know you also have fellowship with like-minded people. Isn't that interesting that Jonathan and his armor-bearer fought alike and they had a great relationship? And so this is why if you seek God, you got to come to church. Because it's the only place you're going to run into Like-minded people. You're not going to find them on your job, except if it's a miracle. I mean, can you think of like-minded people on your job or at your school? Few and far between, isn't it? Do they give you any encouragement? You know, when I told my landlord that You just quoted Jesus Christ there. He says, well, you know, religion starts all the wars in the world. And that's his pet phrase, to shut you up. Did he want to say, oh, yeah, let's mix concrete and talk about how good God is? Get away from me. But you're going to find those kind of people at church. And that is valuable. It is so wonderful and amazing to be with people who are like minded. Only in church are you going to find the encouragement that says, Yeah, go for it. That's a great idea. Whereas all of your family is going to say, Are you kidding? You're going to get killed if you do that. And you know, your family is wrong. They are wrong. God is not going to drop you on your head at the last minute. So see, don't underestimate the value and the wonderfulness of fellowship. But then, you know what? When God gives you an impression, you need to check it out. You need to make sure that that's God. And you know what? He will do that. He will allow you to check it out. And then when it is God, you know, he will do more than you could imagine. It's so always realized, it's bigger than you are. But you got to take that step. And if you take that step, God's going to be with you. So, what it is, is a most wonderful thing to be my, like-minded with God. And again, I'm thinking about Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they're climbing up that mountain, hands and feet. And they're just about giggling. Because they know, when we get to the top of this thing, we win. We know in advance. God is going to do something. And all we got to do is charge ahead and start whacking those guys. Is that exhilarating? Do you ever think, oh no, this isn't crazy. This is reasonable. You're kidding. We're going to win. We already know. And that's the kind of life that God has for us. And you know, if you're not seriously seeking the Lord, then you're seriously missing out on life. That's what it comes down to. So, are you seeking the Lord? Let's pray. I want to thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have recorded these things so that we can learn you and learn your ways. And when I look at it, I think, you know, I have never trusted you in my life. And I wonder how many other people have the same idea. And I think it comes down to, we do not know you. And I pray for all of us this morning that we would know you. Because that's the most amazing thing. Everything else in our life comes out of that. And we thank you this morning for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for a new covenant. And we praise you and thank you that you're faithful to your covenant. We understand, Lord, that there's not you know, a football stadium of us here today. But what does that matter? We still ask you to do a great work through us and do anything you want to do. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.